Good morning, Harvesters. Welcome to our service. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for this glorious day, and we're just assuming that when people hear it, um, that it will be a glorious day. Father, it is just so often the case here in Zimbabwe. So, so grateful for every blessing that you give to us. And Father, as not least, uh, the fact that you sent your son Jesus to die for us on the cross, and the fact that you call us your children, that you're our Father. Father, we thank you so much for these things. And as we come to today's uh, sermon, we pray that you would inspire us, that you would show us the way forward, um, and that you would lead us into the future so that we would be in a way that we would be a church that honors and glorifies you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Um, yeah, things are not as they're meant to be in the world. We really are in a mess. And I was reminded of that about two weeks ago when our beloved Marietta Skilton passed away. Such a lovely woman of faith. And elderly ladies were not meant to die alone in a COVID ward. Um, I had another reminder when I was reading on the BBC News about a, a Nigerian medical student. Um, this unfortunate man was assigned a cadaver to, to, to dissect as a student. And when he walked into the room, he discovered that this cadaver was uh, a, a friend of his of seven years standing. Uh, the man had been caught in the crossfire between police and criminals and he'd been shot and nobody had been able to identify him and account for his disappearance some time before. And, and these are shocking reminders that the world is not as it should be. But we're going to be getting reminders like this every day of our lives. But there is a place, folks. And this is the good news, where things are as they should be. And the Bible calls this place heaven. There is no sickness in heaven. There is no pain in heaven. There is no death and mourning. And in heaven, every tear has been wiped away. And sadly, God had intended our space, earth, to be like that, to be included in his space, heaven. In fact, the whole of the universe was created to be a temple, not a place of pain and suffering, but to be a temple where humankind could worship God and live with Him here on earth. But unfortunately, due to mankind's rebellion, heaven and earth were separated and everything on earth got messed up. Talk about paradise lost. That's just where we are now. Mankind, you and I, had been designed to live forever as had the very structure and fabric of the universe. But then sin came in. So now everyone, everyone and everything is subject to death and decay. Humans grow old, cars wear out, houses crack, paint peels, steel rusts. Even the universe itself is growing old and bringing national, uh, natural disasters. I mean, you look at the flooding, in Western Europe, we look at fires in Spain from one extreme to the other. The earth, the universe is getting old. It's wearing out. And, and our response is just to say, please, Lord, just stop the bus so that I can get off. But we can't. No human can. And it all just seems pretty hopeless. But 
the good news is that it isn't. God has a plan. God's plan is to reestablish His kingdom on earth. God's kingdom on earth is the overlap or the intersection of His space, heaven, with our space on earth. And when Jesus came for the first time, He came to make God's plan possible and to get things started. And until Jesus returns, God's kingdom will overlap with our space in the heart of everyone who acknowledges Jesus Christ as Lord. And then, when Jesus finally returns, God will create a new earth so that things can be fully returned to the way that they were meant to be. Now, notice that although Jesus came to get things started, he left after just 33 years of life on earth and only about three years of ministry. So how, how is God's kingdom going to come in the meantime? Jesus needs, in a sense, to use a military example, boots on the ground. And we've all seen what happened in, in Afghanistan. When there aren't boots on the ground, the enemy just comes in like a flood. God, in a sense, needs boots on the ground. He needs us. Jesus describes us you and I harvest church as his body and we are his hands and his feet on earth to complete the work that he started. And at harvest we have a vision to continue the work that Jesus started and that's what the sermon is all about. We're going to have a look at our vision, the means to making it a reality and then thirdly the specifics of what we would like to achieve in the next year. So our vision, the means, and the specifics. Number one, our vision. Let's dive in right there. Our vision, folks, is to be a transformational church. As we've seen, the way things are at the moment is a far cry from the way that things were meant to be, the way God intended things to be. And the process of moving things from the way they are to the way that they're meant to be is the process of transformation. So our church, Harvest Church, is essentially about transformation. We as members of Harvest want to be transformed into the likeness of Christ because things are not as they should be in our own hearts. And then when we look around, we want others to be transformed because things are not as they should be in their hearts. And then lastly, we want our environment to be transformed because things are certainly not as they're meant to be in Zimbabwe. And notice, folks, that at the core of true transformation is a transformation of the heart. There is no point in social transformation or economic transformation if there is no transformation of the heart. Why? Because then people would enjoy health and wealth and pleasure and happiness on earth but not for eternity. What would be the point of that? This so-called heaven on earth um, would not be heaven at all because people would still have rebellious hearts. They would still be in disobedience to God. Yes, their life might be comfortable and pleasant and wonderful, but there would still be that disobedience and we would still have hell on earth. However, this doesn't mean that we ignore external transformation because it goes together with internal transformation and usually the external transformation points to the possibility of the internal transformation. In other words, transformation requires us to do things 
and to say things that point to our unseen God who can change people on the inside. So, we are a transformational church, and that requires two things. It requires us to have hope, and it requires us to do things. And so we sum this up using two different taglines. The first tagline is, the best is yet to be. This is an expression of hope. The second tagline is that we are to provide as a church and as individuals and as families an encounter with heaven, with God on earth. An encounter with heaven on earth. Let's take each of those two taglines in turn. First of all, the best is yet to be. We, we aim to use that tagline, and I hope, I hope you've heard it. We aim to use it in our conversations, in our sermons, on our websites. We're going to use it without excuse, without apology, ad infinitum, because it is an expression of hope. A hope which is not a possibility, but a certainty. It's not like saying, I hope we have a nice, clear day tomorrow. No, this is a hope that is based on the promises of a dependable God, of an all-powerful God, of an all-knowing God. Let's read from Revelation 21, 1-5, and this is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. The Apostle John talking about the revelation that he's received from Jesus. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven, in this situation referring to the heavens where all the stars and the universes i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea i saw the holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband and i heard a loud voice from the throne and this is god speaking Let's pay attention. He says, look, my dwelling place is now among the people and I will dwell with them. They will be my people and I myself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Things are now as they were intended to be. And then he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We have a hope. We have a certain hope. The best is yet to be. Second tagline. We are to provide an encounter with heaven on earth. In other words, we are to provide people as, in a sense, God's boots on the ground, his hands and feet, with a foretaste of heaven on earth. A taste of the way things could be in people's lives. And this reminds us that if people are to experience the best for eternity, then we've got work to do. We've got things to do. We've got things to say. We need to provide people with an encounter with heaven on earth. An encounter, folks, before it's too late. An encounter that points them to the truth so that their hearts might be transformed by God through belief 
in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And folks, that's what we're all about. That, this, is, this is what it boils down to. If, if we as a church, in everything that we do, so maybe you're doing praise and worship on a Sunday or greeting people, you're saying, I want to do this in such a way that people get a taste of the way things could be. Get a taste of heaven on earth. And when that goes together with the proclamation that we have a hope that the best is yet to be, it's very powerful. You can do it in your family life. You can do it in your business. Maybe you have people around for dinner, people who don't know the Lord, and you're just saying, Father God, help us to provide an experience here that will give these people an encounter with heaven on earth. So that's our vision. We want to be a transformational church. We proclaim two things, that the best is yet to be. And then everything we do is about providing encounters with heaven on earth. Now, let's move on to the second part of the, of the sermon. How do we do this? And the means by which we bring transformation requires two things, values and a model, a way of doing things. So let's take each of those in turn. We'll begin with the values. Our values, folks, shape what we do and what we say as a transformational church. If we don't allow these values to shape the way we do things and what we say and the way we say it, then we're going to be dead in the water. So let's have a look at the values. First of all, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said in John 14, 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. You can only encounter heaven. You can only encounter the Father through Jesus. And that's why we value Jesus. And so we look at the record in the Bible of his words and of his example, and we seek to obey his words, and we seek to follow his example. But, but it's more than that, more than looking back at his words and his, and his example. It's also about having a living personal relationship with Jesus Christ and experiencing the joy of that in the moment, every day of our lives. We value Jesus. Number two, we value love. Paul went to great trouble to explain to the Corinthian church that if they did things for the wrong motivation, then what they were doing would be of no value. It wouldn't, it wouldn't count for anything in the kingdom of God. And so that's why we need to be motivated by love, because we don't want the things that we do to be worthless. And don't forget that the Bible says God is love. Not that He is loving, although He is that, but that He is love. He's the very essence of love. And so if we want to provide people with a heavenly encounter, then we need to be motivated by love. Our values, Jesus love thirdly vibrancy a value of vibrancy speaks to the fact that everything we do or say needs to be led and empowered by the holy spirit if he's missing in our lives and in our church then our lives and our church will be lifeless which is exactly the opposite of god i mean god is such a vibrant alive being and we want people to encounter that vibrancy of god so we pray and ask God to help us to produce the fruit of the Spirit, that fruit which is listed in Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, and also to operate 
in the gifts of the Spirit. We don't believe that these gifts came to an end when the last apostle died. No, we believe that they are available to us today so that we can do the work that God has called us to do, to provide encounters with heaven on earth. Jesus, love, vibrancy, family. Every morning when I pray to God and, and start off with those words, our Father who is in heaven, I'm just so grateful that God has revealed himself to us primarily as a father, not as a boss, not as a work colleague, not as a sergeant major, not, not as a slave master, but as a father. And heaven is about being family together. Think of this. Imagine this, being family together forever. So people need to have a family encounter when they come to harvest. We want to give them, <coughs> beg your pardon, um, a, a, a family experience. Jesus, love, vibrancy, family, service, the last value. You know, if, if God revealed himself to us primarily as a father, Jesus revealed himself to us primarily as a servant. And so we value service. And it's through our service that people will have an encounter with heaven on earth. Brothers and sisters, if, if we allow these values to shape us as individuals and as a church, then we're going to provide those encounters with heaven on earth. But which model of church will serve us best as a transformational church? And here's what we believe will be best. And this is based on a long period of time seeking God, um, studying the Bible. And of course, we, we've um, spoken amongst the eldership team with our wives and extended the net further than that. It's really hard to chat to everybody um, and to get feedback from everybody at a time like this. But if there's anything here that you question or you doubt, please just come back to us and, and chat to us. Our, our office doors are always open. Um, we are approachable. We won't be on the defensive. We'd love to hear from you. So here's our model. I'm going to explain it in terms of leadership, belonging, and weekly gatherings. And in many ways, this is a, a summary of the preaching series, which we're completing today. And we want the model to be as close to scripture as possible. So if you want to check over the scriptural basis, um, then you can go back and re-watch the sermons or you can come and chat to us if you questions queries comments just shout as i've said already leadership um, harvest is led by a team of elders there are three elders who learn um, who earn their living in the marketplace they also learn in the marketplace <laughs> probably some lessons they'd rather not have to learn um, that's mark rob tony roberts and trevor Loudon stool and then we have two elders, pastor teachers, we've referred to them, who earn a living from harvest, preaching and governing full-time, leading full-time. That's Craig Roberts and myself. And as a team, we're responsible to govern, protect, teach, and set an example. Primarily on God's behalf, representing Him to you, but also on your behalf, representing you. We're here to represent you. We are representative authority so that's the that's the leadership um, structure that we have at harvest what about belonging and we we've been emphasizing i think we've been beating this drum relentlessly for the last um, few weeks 
that it is so important to belong to a local church. And we've been trying our best to paint a picture from the Bible of what that actually looks like practically. And so here's a list of the things that we do in order to show that we truly belong to Harvest. We receive new birth into God's family through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then we get baptized because a baptism is an outward picture of the inner change. Initially, people don't see the inner change. We start to see the results of that on the outside as time goes on. But we, we need to nail the colors to the mask. Must, I beg your pardon, say to people, come and witness. This is what's happened on the inside, and I'm doing this as a symbol um, of what's happened on the inside, on the outside. Trust and accept the team of elders that lead Harvest. Support and contribute to the vision of Harvest. These are all things that we do to show that we belong. We attend and participate weekly gatherings of Harvest Church. We give regularly to harvest financially and of our time. And then lastly, we share the burdens of other harvesters through prayer and practical service. Now, this doesn't mean, folks, that we're going to be checking up and making lists and ticking boxes and saying to you, you know what, you don't actually belong. That's not the intention. This checklist is simply for you and nobody else, so that you can see where you need to grow and where you need to improve and whether your belief that you belong matches up with the reality of what that actually looks like. And folks, I, I recognize this, we all recognize that each one of us is a work in process. We are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. None of us has arrived yet. So you don't need to, in a sense, tick all of those boxes instantaneously, no. You look at the list and you bring it prayerfully before the Lord and you think, you know what, this particular thing I'm not doing. And so I'm going to take some first steps to pursue that. And that's why we push this idea, you'll have heard it often at Harvest, of first steps. What, what, what's the next step that I'm going to take to be transformed into the likeness of Christ and to enjoy a greater degree of belonging of being plugged into the local church. And remember, folks, we're not pushing this because we want a congregation. We're not pushing this for any other reason than this is the way God designed it. This is the way God intended it. He wants you to be plugged into a local church because if you aren't, then you're going to suffer loss as an individual and God's mission on earth is going to suffer loss. You know, there, is, there has never been anybody like you. There never will be anybody like you. God has designed you in a special way to be involved in this mission of being a transformational church, of looking forward to the return of Christ. So we need to get involved. Belonging. Get plugged in. Leadership, belonging. We're talking about the model here. What about weekly gatherings? Well, the Bible teaches that we should meet at least once a week. And I'm going to refer to those meetings as weekly gatherings. And a gathering qualifies, in a sense, as a weekly gathering of harvest when the following criteria are met. It's led by a person publicly appointed by the eldership team and approved by the members of harvest. We listen to a teaching 
by one of the harvest pastor teachers. We pray for one another. We sing worship songs. We share testimonies. People have an opportunity to do that. And we serve one another with our spiritual gifts. Now what's significant is that before the COVID pandemic, we used to seek to do that in one large gathering of Harvest Church at the hall at Gateway High School. But since COVID, we've been forced to meet in lots of smaller gatherings in different sites. And that has actually enabled us to compare the two different models. Um, and so we're able to see the advantages and disadvantages of both. So what I'd like to do is just talk about the advantages of meeting in small groups in lots of different sites. First of all, more people have a chance to use their spiritual gifts and their talents. It's hard when you're meeting in a big congregation of 180 people to get everybody involved so that everybody is using their gifts and their talents and learning to develop them in that context. It also means that more people are serving on a Sunday and we've seen that. We've seen people developing and growing as leaders. I'm thinking of, of Dan Norton, Dan Carter, um, so many different people getting involved who wouldn't have had the opportunity when we were in a big congregation. We're also enjoying more genuine fellowship and unity than before because of being in smaller groups. There are more opportunities to care for one another and more people are being prayed for on a Sunday. It also means that through this time of COVID, we've been able to meet, even though the restrictions have been brought down to 50 people. And I also believe, and we believe this as an eldership, that it'll help us as a church to cope better with possible persecution in the future. Now, this sounds like a little bit of a doomsday statement, but don't forget, the Bible teaches that persecution ever since Christ left and before he comes back is going to break out. It'll break out in different times and in different places. Usually what happens is the leadership of the church gets targeted. We just believe that this way of meeting in small groups is more robust. Um, and that people are more used to getting on with things. There's a, a wider spread of leadership. It also means that our growth as a church numerically is not limited to one single venue. So we're not going to have a case where we say, oh, well, this hall is no longer big enough. Um, and it's also easier for us to invite and accommodate seekers in smaller meetings. So we feel that because of these advantages, the multi-site model fits the biblical description of church better. And so for those reasons, we strongly believe that we should continue to use this multi-site model going forward, even when it is possible for us to get together again in one big group. And you know, if you're not sure about that, if you're not sure that and convinced that this is the best way forward, we'd, we'd just love to discuss your comments and your concerns, your ideas, your observations with us. Once again, please feel free to contact us. Now, let's just have a look at some of the disadvantages of this model of meeting in smaller multi-site groups. The one is that um, it is much harder in some ways to develop a sense of identity and belonging to the greater harvest congregation. And it also means that it's, 
it's harder to connect easily and regularly with harvesters that you wouldn't see very often. So how are we going to um, attend to those, those cons? First of all, we, when it becomes possible, we love to schedule regular Super Sundays. That'll be when we all get together in one venue for one meeting. Super Sundays will involve a worship service and then also a social gathering after us. We'll, we'll make a day of it. We'll have a braai or whatever it happens to be. We'll all just get together in one place at one time. We're also going to um, make an effort to, to organize regular harvest sisterhood meetings. So this is, this is a forum where the ladies can get together and enjoy a time of ministry and worship and teaching of the word on a Saturday morning. Um, it, it's particularly good for, for ladies who work during the week or for those who, can't, who find it harder to be fed because they're, they're coming to a, um, a regular weekly gathering with their children. We'll make, a, make sure that there's facilities for the kids at the Harvest Sisterhood meeting. And then another thing that we'd like to do, and we're excited about this idea, is to run midweek courses. Um, so these are not like home groups that carry on um, week after week, month after month, because in a sense you'll get what you would have got from a home group in your small um, Sunday uh, weekly meeting. Um, now this is more something that will happen for a certain period of time. It might be weekly or fortnightly. Um, and it'll revolve around a specific subject. So, for example, we might say, let's um, ask Tony and Trish Roberts to run um, a six-week course on marriage. Um, it might be weekly, it might be fortnightly, and then people would sign up for that, um, and they would get to know people who are not part of their, their weekly gathering on a Sunday. So the, the topics there would be things like marriage preparation, marriage, Christians and business, um, alpha, maybe a deeper understanding of some theological issues, maybe some topical issues. I mean, is vaccination the mark of the beast? You know, that kind of thing. What about when a particular harvest site um, gets too small? What would be the criteria uh, that would determine that we move on to another site. And so what, what, it, what we have in mind there is that when the site practically becomes too small for the people that are there, or if the numbers grow to such an extent that we're no longer enjoying that quality of fellowship, um, all of those things that we've talked about, then the site would multiply and we'd start another site. So that's the, the model that we have on our hearts. And in the meantime, also something else that we're doing is we're just ramping up communication in the monthly newsletters and the weekly What's on the Go bulletin. Because that way, even if you haven't seen harvesters who don't attend your site, you can find out what's going on in their lives and in the church as a whole. So that's the model that we, we have in mind. What about the specifics? What are the specific goals that we would like to attain to in the next year? First of all, once it becomes possible to run two Super Sundays every term. That's what we would like to achieve. We'd also like to multiply each harvest site into two sites um, during the next year. So at the moment we have four sites. During the year we'd like to expand to eight sites. 
possibly even more. I, I'm just excited to see how God will work. And then we would like to run two of those um, midweek courses per term on different subjects. And, you know, the subjects will come up again and again um, so that if you missed the last one, you can sign up for the next one. Folks, just, just in conclusion, when you look at the world and the mess that we're in, we just, we have to be a transformational church. We have to be a church that is moving things from the way they are to the way that they should be. You should be doing it in your own personal life, in your family life, in your work life. God has called us to be people that are on the move. He's called us to be people that are changing. We don't want to be the same people today that we were even a month or two months ago. We want there to be a steady growth because growth is evidence that something is alive. We want to be, our vision is to be a transformational church. And the wonderful thing is that we can be a transformational church because first of all, there is a certain hope based on the promises of a dependable and unchangeable God that the best is yet to be. Folks, we know where we're going and we want to bring other people along with us. And so that means that there is work to be done. We need to be providing encounters with heaven on earth. And that's what I would challenge you to do. I would, I would challenge you to get out there and everything that you do, provide people with the taste of the way things should be. A family experience, a Jesus experience, a vibrant experience, whatever it happens to be. And you can do it on the golf course. You can do it around tea on a, on a Saturday afternoon. You can do it around a meal. You can do it in your workplace, in your supermarket, in your transport company. You are simply bringing the gifts and the experiences that God has given to you and using them to create these encounters of heaven on earth. And so I would like to invite you as a church to join us um, to achieving this vision of being a transformational church. And, and if you're listening to this, this sermon and you're a seeker, maybe you're someone who's thinking, I wonder if there really could be a hope that the best is yet to be. I wonder if that's true. We would invite you to come and join us on this journey, this journey of discovery, this discovery of an amazing God who has created and, and intended things to be in a wonderful and amazing way um, and be a part of that so that you can enjoy Him, worshipping Him, being in His space from now until the end of eternity, if there is such a thing. Shall we pray? Father God, yeah, we just, we're so grateful to you that the best is yet to be. When we just think of the possibility of spending an eternity in your family, with you as our Father, with our fellow brothers and sisters that we have in the faith, we just look forward to it. What, what is it going to be like? Behold, you've said, I'm making all things new. Lord, we love new things. We, we, we love things to be new and fresh. And on this earth, things that are new just wear out. And they're no longer new. They're no longer the same. They're, they're not as shiny as they used to be. They don't work like they used to. But we, we just look forward to a time when you've made everything new and everything continues to be new. 
thank you so much for this hope. Thank you for this hope. And Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you as a congregation, to doing things and to saying things that will bring transformation so that we can, we can invite others to join us on this journey of the best is yet to be. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to the future because the best really is yet to be. Cheers for now.